0: all about worship, and uh, under the title of Now to Him. Oh, if we could just whack to the front computer, that would be great. And uh, the last little bit of this series focuses on two verses at the end of Jude. Jude is, uh, is one book of the Bible written by Jude, who, hence the name of the book, who was uh, brother of Jesus. Uh, brother of James, who wrote the other letter in the new testament and jude 's role was really to write to i think i think it 's fair to say Jude had been a reluctant follower uh, and the same with James actually reluctant followers initially, but here is Jude some years later after Jesus had died, risen again, gone into heaven, and uh, he 's been filled with the spirit Jude, and writing to a bunch of Christians who 've been infiltrated with not quite knowing what the teaching of the gospel was anymore. And here was Jude reminding them of uh, the, the key things to believe in and to think about and to live towards as Christians. And right at the end of this chapter, he just wrote one, one letter. He was obviously thinking, you know, Paul, I know you've written loads of letters, but I only need one page. Um, he wrote, wrote this one letter to these bunch of Christians, and he gets right at the end of this letter, and he, and he finishes with uh, what's... It's been described as a doxology. And so the the talk this morning is really about doing a doxa. Uh, Doxology comes from the Greek word doxa, which just literally means to give God glory. And there are a few books in the New Testament that end with praise, end with worship. And Jude is one of them. There's also Romans and 2 Peter, where it ends with this doxology, this, this call up to live lives of worship to praise the Lord and to give him glory and so uh, that's what I want to say today it's about how we as Christians live doing a doxa how do we give glory to God in all things and it's worth saying that right at the end of this book there's worship which is a conclusion and that, that for, for us, I guess in our Christian lives, many of us begin our lives worshipfully. You know, we, we begin with a sense of enthusiasm and passion and desire to live for Jesus and to follow him, to worship him. But I've observed this principle in my life, that as I've gone on as a Christian, and some of you have been Christians for many, 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 many years, many more years than me, um, but I, I've noticed this this truth, that sometimes life gets in the way of our worship, and becomes a, a blockage, or we allow it to become a, block, a blockage. And so this morning is really about this this reality, that we're called to live lives of worship day in and day out, and to not give up, to never give up. Worship is a fitting conclusion to a book of the Bible, and actually is a fitting conclusion to our lives in general. I've said at various points, you know, I, I, I would love when I finally get to go with, the, to be with the Lord and to die, I would love for that to be during a time of worship. I mean, obviously it might upset some of you <laughs> if that happens, but, um, but it would be great for me, so you'll allow me that indulgence, it would, to, to be able to go with that sense of worship to finish the race well, to worship in and through the Lord. So worship is a fitting conclusion. I'm amazed at how often worship can change to whinging in churches and in not very long timescales. We need to be those that continually have the Lord set before us and we worship him with a passion in every phase and stage of life. Sometimes I think the description of uh, midlife worship is basically midlife crisis without the Lord present. We want to be those that worship the Lord, whatever stage or phase of life we're at. And when worship diminishes, we simply are left with the reality that we become grumpy old men or women. And we're called to not be like that, to live worshipfully. Worship is a fitting conclusion. It's also worth saying by way of introduction that worship is our focus. Jude, in his letter, right at the end, says, after all of this teaching, after all of this, he then says, now to him. Now to him. And so worship has got to be our central focus for our lives, to live lives of worship And if you're yet to discover what it means to live a life of worship, as in every day, to point your life in the Lord's direction every single day, as you pray, as you read the Bible, as we wait on God every day, there's real joy in that and focus, actually, that it keeps our lives uh, focused on the reality of who Jesus is. It's got to be our central focus for our lives. And because actually, at the end of the day, that's, he, he, that relationship with the Lord is the only thing that goes with us. Uh, you know, the, the, the work that we've done, you know, the number of minutes of meetings that I have written over the last five years, uh, it's awesome. But the reality is, none of those minutes of meetings will go with me. Praise the Lord. That's... <laughs> probably a good thing you know Peter is not going to be at the gates checking the minutes and matters arising because there'll be a lot of them in my life or there would be without the Lord's help so we're called to be in relationship with him it's our focus because that relationship with him is is what we carry with us it's our focus it's also for him I don't know whether you've ever left a church building or a worship experience or a celebration And you've said something like this. Or we've asked the question, how is the worship for you? How was it? Or, I didn't think much of the worship today or this evening. And I wonder whether the Lord might say back to us something like, I did. Often worship becomes us-centered, doesn't it? Did we like it or not? And actually, our worship has got to be jesus focused it's for him if there is any sense of passion in our worship it's because it's for him that's what it's about worship is for jesus and it's not for us and therefore i think over the over the years i mean one's style changes doesn't it in terms of what you like in worship music and songs and uh you know that's a good thing our worship our tastes move our musical styles change you know the, the stuff that I listened to back in the day you know you, you, that changes doesn't it as you as you get older and that's it that's important um, and so our, our musical t- style our tastes will change but worship has got to remain constant we need to worship the Lord in whatever environment we're at and, and there is plenty of choice at St. Michael's in terms of style whether it's nine o'clock communion or ten thirty uh, craziness, or six thirty even more craziness, or five o'clock less crazy even song, uh, you know there's loads of options for where we might connect with the Lord. Uh, but wherever we go, we are we are called to connect to Him. It's for Him, and that's because He's uh, incomparable. In Revelations it says you are worthy our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power or in Revelations 1 it just says he was and is and is to come he's incomparable he is the only focus for our worship that's that's worth it he is worthy of our praise he's incomparable C.S. Lewis said once, A man can no more diminish God's glory by refusing to worship him than a lunatic can put out the sun by scribbling the word darkness on the walls of his cell. God is who he is. He's incomparable. He's also personal. Twice in verse 25, it says this little phrase. It has, he's ours. He's our Lord. He's our God he's ours not a God who kickstarted the world and just left it to run its course um, but the God who is ours in Revelation 21 it has this phrase it says I will be your God and you will be my people he's personal and I, th- I think any any sense of worship that's ours together starts and becomes effective because the Lord is ours personally. Any sense of us having a corporate sense of worship being uh, amazing starts because our relationship with him is a personal one. Do you get that? That sometimes we think that coming to church will be the sole answer to everything, that we'll be caught up because everybody else is worshipping. And that's partly true But actually, unless we get to a point where worship becomes personal, that my friendship with the Lord is my friendship with him and him with me. That's where worship begins and ends, actually. Any corporate sense of of worship, it, it comes about because individuals have responded to the Lord and made a choice to worship him. He's personal. And so maybe this morning there's an opportunity for you if you're here this morning and you've been in church for a while or maybe this is your first time there's an opportunity for you to make the relationship with Jesus a personal one to say I don't just want to sing about you I want to know you Lord I want to sing to you I want to be in a friendship with you that's what being a Christian is all about somebody said to me this week they said you know just by sitting on the forecourt of quick fit doesn't make you a car and uh, I mean, obviously, I was slightly confused by that initially. But then they said, they said it was a, a alpha, I think, it, that we had this last week. And what they what they meant by that is, of course, you know, being in church, sitting in the forecourt of church or in a pew doesn't make you a Christian. We we become Christians as we make a personal response to Jesus. We say thank you for all that you did for me, and come and fill my life up, and help me to live for you. That's what it means to make a personal response to the lord and then worship is jesus focused it's jesus centered verse 25 of of jude uh, says this to uh, our only god our savior be glory majesty power and authority it's focused on jesus we're christians not godians or nicians or churchians or help old ladies across the Rhodians. we are we are christians You know, we worship Jesus. We're Jesus centered. And that's why, in the worship songs that we sing, uh, like this morning, He is the Lord. It's focused on Jesus. That's the direction of our worship. And I would say, in in our daily times, when we pray, when we read the Bible, if you've not done that before, be a great thing to start to do. And I would say to you, start with the Gospels. Start with the Gospel of Mark, if you've never done that. Never taken some daily time. Start this week. Take a Gospel of Mark. Read it through. And turn what you read into worship. The encounters that Jesus has with people. And culminating in the cross, uh, the crucifixion, the resurrection. And the promises beyond that. It's Jesus-centered. And then it's Jesus-centered because he is eternal. He is the only God before all things and after all things. He is now and he is forevermore. Worship has an eternal focus. I don't just mean by that we sing 45 songs and it feels like eternity. But it has an eternal perspective when we worship the Lord. We connect with uh, prehistory. We connect with history to come it has an eternal perspective we connect with uh, the reality of the uh, archangels and the angels worshipping the whole company of heaven worshipping the Lord both now and forever and uh, that makes sense when you think about worship as relationship it doesn't make much sense when you think about worship as songs I mean how many of you you know, would be really looking forward to eternity of singing songs. Some of you would go, maybe. Some of you would say, you must be joking. I've got better things to do. You know, singing songs for the whole of eternity. But when you think about worship as relationship, that sense of being in an eternal friendship, when the heavens and the earth are renewed, when all creation is restored, and you are a part of that as a follower of Jesus... And that worship starts to make sense. Not just singing songs, but a life, everything focused towards following and living for and worshipping Jesus. So doing a doxa. And here are two verses and four great truths from this last bit of Jude. Number one, it says, God saves us. God saved us and he is our saviour. In the second, there's a couple of words into verse 25 to our only God, our Savior. We worship because the Lord has saved us. He provided the greatest swap in history my sin for His righteousness, my orphan spirit for His spirit of adoption, my death for His life, my hell for His heaven. We worship because God. Saves us, He rescues us, and again, that's part of that personal response, isn't it? Saying, "Lord, thank you for all that You've done." And this week up ahead, we'll be thinking more about that. Uh, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday services here in church, and uh, the service after that as well—a reflective service from twelve o'clock onwards till uh, about uh, 1.45 or so. Opportunity for us to recognise that God has saved us in Jesus and for us to say thank you. Secondly though, as well as saving us, God sustains us. In verse 24 it has this little phrase, to him who is able to keep you from falling. He is able to keep you from stumbling. And the word stumbling is that picture of a, an animal stumbling up a mountain, not quite making it and falling to its knees from time to time. And God's saying, you know, that there are moments when you will feel under pressure and I'm the one the eternal one who stands alongside you to stop you from falling uh, completely out and completely down he's the one who will keep us uh, standing even if it feels at sometimes like it's a close call he is the one who promises to keep us from stumbling he sustains us and then it says that he also sanctifies us he presents us before his glorious presence in verse 24. He's the one that presents us before his presence without fault. I don't know whether you've ever thought about that, that eternal court, the heavenly court where Jesus presents you without fault. Uh, often in, in my life I've become aware of the faults in me uh, and sometimes we focus on them more than other times, don't we, when we make mistakes and when we mess up, we focus on our faults. When Jesus presents us, he's going to present us without fault. So you're going to stand and you're going to want to say, "Um, Lord, here's this long list of faults from the way that I've acted through the way that I've thought and responded, the critical things I've thought or said or You know, the horrible things I may have done. And you're going to want to say all of that, but it's like the Lord will put his hand over your mouth, smiling and say, you know, Father, I present Patrick without fault. I present Jeff without fault. I present Murray without fault. I present Claire without fault. I present Sue without fault. I present George without fault. He's going to present us without fault. What an amazing... And apologies for those of you who didn't get mentioned. Um, (laughs) we, We get to be counted in and we get to be presented without fault. He sanctifies us. That's the thing that's going on now. In the here and now, he changes us to make us more like Jesus. And then when we're presented, we will be actually like him. God sanctifies us and changes us and presents us without fault. And then it says, God satisfies us. It says uh, that he presents us with great joy. So he presents you without fault. Hand over your mouth when you're wanting to express your faults. Nope. Here's Simon, I present him without fault. And then it says in Jude 24 verse 24, I present him with great joy. What an amazing picture, isn't it? Jesus, with his hand on your gob, saying, no, speak not. You have no fault. I present you, Simon, without any fault, and I do it with great joy. And the word there literally means jumping for joy. Now, I can say this this morning because Sam's not here. Um, When Sam was a little boy, he loved Thomas the Tank Engine. He was passionately for Thomas the Tank Engine. He knew every train. He knew, you know, every character. And on his birthday, his second birthday, he was given a Thomas the Tank Engine um, set. And we've got pictures of him as he opened Thomas the Tank Engine, going, Thomas! And just jumping up and down not knowing how to, what to do, not able to grab anything, not able to even start to play with Thomas, just jumping for joy. Uh, we've got fantastic pictures of him off the ground, just, Thomas! And that is the picture, although it sounds um, kind of bizarre, that's the picture of Jesus presenting you, jumping with joy, passionately enthusiastic for all that you've done and lived for and lived towards, and the changes that he's brought about in, in your life and my life. Passionately for you because he's seen you endure difficulties and pain and suffering. The stuff that you've gone through where you have been on the verge, on the moment of giving up. And he's been so for you in that moment. As he presents you without fault, he said, here's um, this person. They have, they've gone through it and they've lived towards me through the pain and difficulty. He'll be leaping for joy in that moment, for all that you have endured for the sake of living for Jesus and working towards that point. What a great picture, isn't it, of worship. He will present you without fault, with joy, as you stand before the Father. And when we tempted to focus negatively on ourselves and, uh, you know, I'm no good at this, or I wish I could do that better, Jesus will present you without fault, with joy. It's where our worship is headed actually it's where our worship is headed and it's why God calls us to be so passionately for him in the here and now the personal worship now means that we'll have uh, that personal um, savor as we we get to heaven so there we go I could say more but I won't Uh, Jude 24 and 25 just says this now to him who's able to keep you from falling and will present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God, our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Take uh, Jude 24 and 25 and maybe use it this week in your worship and in your times with the Lord and focus maybe even a couple of words at a time what is God saying to me out of these two verses and see what God does why don't we uh, take a breather for a moment and then we'll pray together so maybe